Hello, my name is Brian Martin, and you are listening to episode 17 of the Running Technique Tips podcast. Uh, Lisa uh, is joining me now from Sydney. It's uh, nearly a week after the marathon, Lisa. Mm, um, how are you? Not bad, not yeah. bad. Feeling good. Body is recovering. Um, mind has recovered. Lots of ref- yeah, mind's recovered. Um yeah, sort of got out of the corner where I was sort of sitting, rocking, holding, nursing myself. <laughs> Managed to get up off the off the canvas, um, and uh, yeah, lots of reflecting and thinking, and a bit of planning um, for the tinkering ahead. Yeah, I think now, you probably got more excited at the fact that you can move back into tinkering mode. I, I am. I'm very excited by the tinkering. Um, I've, I've already commenced with tinkering. Uh, <laughs> can't get enough of it. <laughs> Oh, dear. actually, you have commenced with tinkering, and I do want to start on this because if anyone goes onto our Facebook page, don't actually go onto our Facebook page at the moment if you're eating because the photo that is <laughs> that is up there is of your foot. And, I mean, who am I to talk, right? I've got the world's most ugliest feet, which was confirmed by a, a podiatrist. But you've got That's true, and- like these hideous toe things like what the hell <laughs> toe spreaders toe spaces <laughs> oh. i'll explain more about that later but i thought you know it's only fair since i like foot shamed you earlier that um, <laughs> that i should put my own freaky feet up on the facebook page for everyone to have a look at do you know what i actually was pretty impressed by one of the listeners comments um who said that the photo probably should have come with a few more pixelations <laughs> yes I think he, I think you might be right. I'm a bit I'm a bit worried. I think the Facebook content moderation um, crew might come along and remove it because it's offensive. Who knows? Oh dear! I must admit, I actually opened it up when I was having breakfast, and I was like, "Oof, okay." <laughs> Close that There's one. Down. Brian's hairy foot. Brian's hairy foot with his toe spreaders. Oh, he could take that in so many directions, but. <laughs> We won't. Let's we, don't. we won't. We're going to talk about me, actually, because yeah, no, this is this has got to be more about you since Monday was about me and my woes from the marathon. Yeah, um, and unlike what have you been doing? Well, unlike you and your misery, I'm sort of on the up and up. I've got a big smile on my face, and I've been ticking along, hitting a few personal bests, and uh, I'm really, really close to the marathon. So, last week when you were prepping for your Melbourne marathon. I was still very much head down, bum up. Uh, I was on my last week of like big Ks. And so that's week 11 of my 14-week marathon plan. And it was a funny one because in my head I was just telling myself, if you get through this week, like you are going to get through this marathon. And it was sort of that self-talk, self-belief that you that you tell yourself. And it was like it was like a mini kind of race week in itself. Um, and so I'll, I'll just tell you what I did for the week and I guess yeah, the reasons why do. I was giving myself those pep talks. So on the Monday um, I just had my usual PT session, but I had come off doing my marathon simulation, so my 60 minutes at marathon pace on the Sunday. And, look, I pulled up pretty well, but getting m- moving into a PT session, my legs, which they just had 
zero pop. Like I was, you know, I had to do like a few jumping things and I reckon I would have been lucky to have gotten a millimeter off the ground. <laughs> it, uh, it wasn't pretty, but Lisa I can't jump. Oh, literally I, I can't jump at the best of times actually. And, you know, throwing a marathon simulation the day before makes it even worse. But one thing that was really nice is actually how good I felt after that gym session. So do you ever find that just doing that sort of active recovery that's not running, that is a different activity, aids your recovery? I have found that in the past. Um, definitely doing some form of gym, including some resistance training, I've found, yeah, definitely improves recovery and it does tend to put the pop back in your legs mm. um, a lot faster than just if you were did resting yeah. alone. And look, I've, I've, I've heard some other people talking about that on podcasts recently and, and part of my research and um, it is actually a, a real it's a real thing. It's another thing. Um, it's not just <laughs> strength, a Brian. No, Brian it's not idea. just a. It's not just a made up Lisa and Brian thing. It's actually a real thing. So yeah, people are doing or putting quite a lot of thought into that kind of um, active recovery, um, particularly involving strength training. So mm. yeah, it's definitely something for us all to consider. Yeah, and I really enjoyed it. It was really hard during it, but just the effect and how I felt afterwards and the few hours after was actually really good. So that led me into the Tuesday. And I did. Oh, before you go on, what, what sort of other exercises have you been doing? Just give us a couple. Yeah, so they aren't, well, when I say traditional, I've never been really a gym junkie, so I'm finding them quite unusual. I'm doing a lot of um, specific leg work around sort of like hips and glute strength. So I'll be doing, uh, gosh, I can't, don't even really describe it, but I'll put my foot into like a pulley on a machine, so lightweight, and it'll be like standing on one foot and then the foot that's in the pulley will drive up as though I'm running. Mm -hmm. um, so it's as though it's like it's a running motion and trying to get out, you know, maybe 15 reps on each leg. Uh, so that'll be one. I'm doing this, I'm, I'm calling it the devil exercise because I find it so hard and I don't really sweat very much, but this exercise gets me every time. I'm just like, I only do four repetitions and Again, I've got my leg in the pulley, but I've got – so my back leg's in the pulley. My front leg is at a very low um, single leg squat and I'm holding one hand onto like a pole in front of me and you've got to go from nearly like a, a very low seated sort of squat and pull your back leg all the way through up into standing position and have a bit of a rotation. I, I should probably actually do a video of it. Yeah, I because think you should. I'm doing a terrible job of explaining it and it is so hard and I'm finding it hard because that is such a big weakness of mine and the difference between my left and right leg is extraordinary. Mm -hmm. But I just do four on each leg and from where I came from, sort of I think I'm up to my eighth week of personal training, um, so from week one to now, like I've improved so much. I'm still not great, <laughs> but the improvement has been quite good. So I'll, I'll, I'll get some footage of me doing it in my next session and, and pop it up so people know what yeah. I'm talking about for anyone that really suffers with poor glute and hip strength like I do. I think this is actually the best exercise that I've ever done. Mm, sounds good. I'll and, pop it up. Uh, we're, we're in the future, sometime not 
probably after you do your marathon, I think we do a whole episode on strength training, mm. um, maybe even two because it's just such a big and valuable topic. Yeah, it really it's is. a five percenter, not a one percenter. <laughs> oh, yeah, look, I, I agree. And when we talk about that, I've got some just personal stories of benefits from the strength training rather mm-hmm. than just doing lots of running. So anyway, so I did that on the Monday, moved into the Tuesday, and I did uh, two by two and a half K hilly fartlek. So I did these a couple of weeks ago and the pop had come back into my legs. And what was really interesting about this one is I was training at about 70% because I had a few other sessions during the week, which were more important. And I felt amazing, but my times were quicker than the previous couple of weeks, even though these, my perceived effort was, uh, it, it, I felt slower. Um, like it just felt easier. So that was one confidence boost for the week. So I was pretty happy with that one. And then moved into midweek long run on the Wednesday. I did 19 Ks, another hilly loop actually I did then. It's averaging 518s and I just felt amazing. Uh, and then moved into Thursday where I had a bit of a monster session. Well, I think it's a monster session. So I had to do four by 1600 with a 200 meter jog recovery. And that is a monster session. Yeah. So it's like a lot of volume. The, my, my pace aim was a four minute K pace and the, like to set the scene, Sydney has been just torrential rain, like for nearly two weeks straight. And that Thursday at the track was no different. So pouring rain coming in from every angle, wet, (laughs) heavy track. And I had no friends. So, um, my husband was meant to do it with me and he did the warm-up and <laughs> in the warm-up I was like, oh, no, I meant to – he had some dinner or conference or something that oh, okay. he was meant to be at. So he left me stranded. Uh, my other training partner had trained during the day, so it was little old me in the torrential rain. Doing your mile – that sounds like cruise intervals, mile cruise interview oh, intervals. so – do you know what? It was one of those sessions where I was just like, oh, suck it up, Lisa. You just you just put your head down, one foot in front of the other, shut up and run. So that's what I did. <laughs> and I actually I felt amazing. So my repetitions were 618, which was a 356-kilometre average. The next one, 618, so another 356. 620, a 358, and finished in a 615, which is a 355. And... So that was number two confidence boost for the week. Yep, good pace. Good pace, felt good, but didn't feel like I was like smashing myself. So I was really, really pleased on that one, especially in the conditions and running uh, like Scotty No Friends. Uh, <laughs> and then um, Friday I had a rest. Normally I have a massage, but on the Saturday we were doing our super, super long run. So it was planned for a 34K run, so booked in a massage after it and had the babysitter booked. Uh, the three of us, my husband, uh, other training partner who's doing New York and I, we headed out early on Saturday morning for our 34-kilometre run and like this, so this is the longest run I've ever done in my life. And I'll be honest, I was nervous. I, <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know whether it was just uncharted territory. Um, I'd say that's exactly why. That's, yeah. That's, it's a long way. It's a, 34 Ks is a long way. Yeah. And, you know, like in my head I thought, well, if it's, you know, five-minute Ks, it's going to be nearly three hours of running. And it was sort of like, well, that's pretty much, you know, like this is basically simulating my marathon but obviously just um, – 
a bit slower. So I was, I was fighting a few butterflies just thinking, oh God, you know, what if it just those questions that come into your head. And uh, anyway, ended up feeling amazing, ran the 34Ks, uh, average pace was 4.58 and yeah, like I I just felt really comfortable. Started off very, very slow. So the first eight kilometers were five minute to 5.30 pace and then just slowly got quicker, slowly felt more comfortable. Um, the course that we did was so boring. There's a a park in Sydney, Centennial Park. So we did about nine laps around this giant park, just around and around. But it was quite nice because it was sort of training mental discipline as well. Yep. And, uh, yeah, again, so that was then the third sort of positive thing from that week. And I only ran four days that week. I got through 84Ks, three really positive things and um, I finished the week sitting on the couch watching you actually run the Melbourne Marathon and you were the one negative point of my whole week. <laughs> Just took the gloss off the week. Sorry about that. <laughs> you took the gloss off though. Um, but then on the Sunday I was meant to do a, a swim and I must have been, I went down to the pool and had my girls and I did a grand total of six laps, which was 300 metres, and thought to myself, why am I doing this? And uh, so I took myself over to the baby pool and sat in like the little, like this like little area that had bubbles and whatever coming through, and I sat there for 40 minutes. It was probably my favourite session of the whole week. You just went and had a bath basically. Oh, I literally <laughs> did, and it was so, so nice. So um I was really proud of myself for that week. It's sort of the equal biggest volume as far as kilometres. I had done one other 84K week, but that 4 by 1600 metre session with the 200 metre jog was probably the biggest session I've ever done. I had done 4 by 1600s when I was in New Zealand, but that was a static recovery and then that 34K run. So I, um, I, I felt pretty good last week. Monster week. That's mm, good. Monster week. So. Body's holding up all right. Oh, so <laughs> um, yes and no. I've actually got a little bit of runner's knee creeping in and I was a bit worried about this from the 34K run and like clockwork. It pretty much happened despite having the massage. Whenever I sort of enter into a new realm that I haven't been in before, I do get a couple of little niggles uh, and, you know, this is usually the one that flares up the most. So, look, it's completely manageable and I am managing it. I've got a lot of stretching and, you know, pigeon poses, mm -hmm. yin happening, massage, self-massage um, and really rest. So um, it will absolutely be fixed before race day. Yeah. Well, you've got the opportunity to take a few days off for um, healing and recovery in the in the. The couple of weeks that are left. Yeah, exactly. But um, it was really nice. So that was sort of like the end of my like massive, massive block. And for confidence wise, I ended on a high. I've I'm sort of in that headspace of well, you know, whatever happens now on race day happens. But I have ticked every box that I feel like I could have ticked given where I started. Yep. So definitely, I think you have as well. Yeah. So I'm I'm in a good space. I'm I'm feeling pretty good. So that was um. That was me last week. We know what happened to you last week. You crashed and burned. <laughs> Put those flames out. Um, so where have you headed to after that? We, we had a good chat. We had a reflection on the Monday. It's, yeah. now, it's now Friday. 
Yeah, I, I, I've been having a little bit more uh, reflecting time and I'm sure there'll be a little bit more to come. Um, I've sort of used their, that opportunity um, whilst having a couple of days of downtime just to um, just do a bit more research into some of the things that I think I might want to work on um, in the future or may adjust a little bit more in the future. Um, and, yeah, there's a, there's a couple that immediately sort of sprung to mind that, or things that I may approach differently in the future. And one is definitely, you know how we're really good, or I think I've, I was really good in this campaign of adjusting my training mm. if I was sick or if I had a niggle. Um, but I wasn't so good at adjusting my training for the fact that, you know, I wasn't sleeping very well and I had some additional stress coming in. So I think the thing that I would do in the future more so would be to um, – Really, um, probably on weeks if I, you know, had a significant amount of poor sleep or was under any kind of additional stress, um, probably not do any harder running in those weeks and maybe even take an extra day or two off just to kind of allow um, myself to recover from those additional stresses. And although I kind of talked about, um, you know, managing the entirety of your life as being, you know, part of the big training picture i didn't really implement that very well over the the course of the program so i think that's definitely um something that i would i would look to change in the future um in terms of being quite flexible with the with the running program uh that you've set out for yourself or would you change instead of saying right well i won't do any exercise would you change it to like a more gentle exercise so whether it is like walking therapy or going to the gym and stretching doing some really basic movement patterns yeah so not static but you're still getting that endorphin sort of high from doing something yeah look i definitely continue to um uh either go for a walk um, or, you know, if it was a day where I planned to do a session and, you know, you hadn't slept well the night before or, you know, you're under stress, just skip the session, you know, just go for a jog instead or go for a walk depending on how bad it is. Um, so, yeah, just being a little bit more flexible in that sense. But, yeah, definitely would be um, uh, doing some of those other little simple easy things, especially walking. Like, honestly, you can't do anything better than going for a nice gentle walk. Um pretty hard to do yourself any harm from for going for a walk so that'll probably be a feature that i emphasize a bit more if i need to in the future Mm. yep yeah Um, any goals have you set anything uh for the future or you're still just in your tinkering mode uh, yeah look i've probably i've I've looked at i'm going to continue with this sort of goal-free running but i have just had a look at a couple of running events that i might do before christmas um assuming I can get back up and running after I have this break without any other interruptions. Um, There's a couple of um, fun runs, actually. There's one in Ballarat, uh, the Run for a Cause fun run, which is coming up in late November, and that's a 10K. So it'd be kind of nice to do something that was um, a little bit shorter than thinking about the, uh, the marathon. So I'll probably do that, but not go into it with any sort of expectations about how fast I might run it. Um, Just go and go and do whatever it is that I can do on the day. Um, and the other one is there's a, a trail run 
um, up near Dalesford where I spend a bit of time as well. So that's a 26K trail run and that's in December. Um, So that'll give me like an event both of those months that's pretty low key and I can just sort of rock up and and do that and just see what happens. Is uh, the trail run dipping your toe into the water for potential future ultras? (laughs) I don't think so. (laughs) Don't think so. It's only 26Ks. So um, it'd just be nice to kind of jog around in, in nature. And, yeah, during the week I went through a few couple of nice walks in the bush, which was great with, with Charlotte the Wonder Dog. So, yeah, it's a well-known fact apparently that walking in nature um, reduces your stress levels. So mm-hmm. um, uh, definitely um, indulged in a bit of that through the week, which has been really nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sounds beautiful. Um, mm, very good. Um, and what else have I been doing? Yeah, uh, I, went, I went to see a naturopath. Ah, very good. For the first time in my life. So, um, yeah, getting a bit of a holistic look at, you know, these issues around sleep and um, stress and some other things. So, uh, yeah, that was I only just got back from that before and that was really interesting. So she's not it's not a woo-woo naturopath. So there's, um, it's, it's all evidence-based and we're going to go and get some blood tests and some other bits and pieces just to check out. Um, if there's anything going on that I need to be concerned about. Um, and, yeah, in the week ahead, I'm also just going to go in and see the GP as well and just get a general checkup because it's been a little while since I've had one of those. So, mm-hmm. Which is probably um, like a really good suggestion for you know, all of us should really take that on board, shouldn't we, between, you know, putting our body under stress for training for these events plus just life stresses is sometimes, you know, I'm definitely guilty of this, uh, of just saying, oh, that's fine, you know, my health's fine, I'm not sick, I'll just keep soldiering on. Yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, this time post-marathon is a great time to kind of just reset um, and, you know, get some baselines, make sure all of your health is okay. Um, Yeah, obviously take some time off. So, yeah, that's the kind of thing that I'm – doing at the moment and thinking about so yeah it'll be really interesting <laughs> i've actually the naturopath is very um very concerned about the sleeping pattern so she's mixed me up a magic potion <laughs> <laughs> which uh, it's hopefully going to lead to some beautiful sleep um i believe but, oh, but yeah. yeah when i did tell her that i felt really good when i'd actually had six hours sleep she looked at me very strangely it was just you realize that six hours is not enough and you're saying you feel good after you've had six hours so. oh, i definitely so, need to get that one fixed I think so, yeah. So it'd be nice, um, as you have managed to do, uh, get up to sleeping eight hours um, on a regular basis would be, I think, really good for me. Do you know what? It makes the world a world of difference. And when we really delve into this topic, because I want you to get your results and then we'll talk through them in a lot of detail and what sort of caused them and some of the tests that I had had done uh, late last year and early this year. But I was pretty much the same. I used to have a bit of a saying that was like, oh, I'll sleep when I'm dead. It was a bit of a hero status to only have lived a four and five hours sleep. And especially in the industry that I work in, working in IT, people thrive on working till two, three o'clock in the morning, being in the office first. It's the, the most ridiculous environment and mindset to get into and I was guilty of it. And I, I, I've had that, yeah, I come from that background as well and I think that's what's allowed me to kind of normalise mm. my poor sleeping whereas I should have been jumping on it much earlier. Yeah, it's it's completely ridiculous and I sometimes get a little bit angry at myself. You can probably hear the tone of my voice. This is directed at me <laughs> for allowing myself down that path of thinking that that's the norm and, you know, sleep is 
is a sign of weakness and it's completely the opposite like falling into a big hole because you've been a dickhead that has allowed yourself to live off four to six hours sleep that is weakness not recharging your body allowing yourself to get good quality sleep so that you can can perform at whatever it is that you do the best level that is a sign of strength and that Mm. is the mentality you know in western civilization We, we really need to hammer that in i think I'm very passionate about that. <laughs> yep. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, as I do a bit more um, research, we yeah, we could actually probably do a whole episode on sleep, um, I think, because there's, there's some pretty fascinating stuff I've been listening to over the last couple of days about mm. just how important that is yeah. Yeah. in the overall picture. So, so yeah, so that's really interesting. And, yeah, getting, getting to my tinkering with the toe spaces, um, that was something that I'd been thinking about doing for a while and the idea is, and, and the reason I didn't do it in the marathon build-up is it's very unwise to do any major tinkering um, either with your technique or shoes or other things. Hang on, can um, you just backpedal and explain yep. these toe spaces? I, I will, yeah. I'm just, I'm getting, <laughs> sorry, I'm getting to it. Um, yeah, so the idea is that um, uh, in Western society, we get put into quite narrow shoes at a very early age. I know that was my experience and what that does is kind of push your toes together um, and look, this would be something that I'd probably actually get um, Tom DeCanto back on to talk about in a bit more detail because he's a, podi- he's a podiatrist. Um, so, yeah, kind of uh, that, that sort of squashing of the toes together does kind of reduce um, the functionality of your toes and could certainly lead to um, some of the the deep kind of intrinsic muscles in your foot and really deep lower calf, so muscles underneath your soleus, um, probably atrophying a little bit and not being as strong as they could be. So I guess the idea by spreading your toes back out to their more natural position is um, that you can stimulate those muscles a little bit more. And from my perspective, I'm kind of thinking that, um, my big toe, especially if I can spread that back out, um, it might actually lead to some slight um, increases in efficiency in my stride. I might even get a, a slightly longer longer stride and a longer hip, hip extension if I can kind of load up my big toe properly. And at the moment, my big toe is kind of squashed up against my um, first toe. Um, and with the toe spaces on, you can really feel, um, and I've only I've sort of been wearing them around the house and been for one walk in them and you can really feel the muscles in your feet and lower legs working a bit harder when you've actually got the spaces on. Um, And that's one of the reasons why I didn't want to tinker with it in the lead up to the marathon because as soon as you add that kind of extra stress and load, as we've sort of talked about with both Tom and Kevin, you could put yourself at risk of kind of stirring up some sort of um, injury. But now's the time to do it. I'm I'm not running. And once I do start running in a few weeks' time, I'll be doing pretty light volumes anyway. So I mm-hmm. um, thought it'd be a good time to uh, tinker with my toes. I am sort of sitting here grinning because um, I actually – I'm not sure how this is going to go. My feet are way too far gone to even consider something, some type of improvement. So um, I'm quite amused by this little tinkering thing that you've got going on. It's a bit of an experiment, but one thing I've already discovered is that um, once you put the toe spaces in, there is very, very few of my running shoes will actually fit my toes into the toe box because they're all 
most of them are quite traditional and narrow. So really the only running shoes that I think that I've got that actually fit my toes with the toe spaces um, attached are the ultras. So um, uh, it could lead to running in those a little bit more perhaps in the future if if I persist with the toes, toe spacing. <laughs> oh, dear. It's just it's too weird for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it might be fabulous oh, just thought I'd, I'd, I'd been reading about it for a long time and I thought now's the time to have a bit of a play around with it and um, see if it actually has any benefit or not. Yeah, I must have, when you sent them through, I had to laugh because I was like, hang on a second, whenever I go and get um, you know, a pedicure on my feet, they basically put those things in there just to make sure the nail polish doesn't That's <laughs> run right. onto each toes. <laughs> Could have got you a couple of those for free from the well, local I- nail place <laughs> that's right well look i have um commandeered a set of those for painting nails off my wife um but they're not really designed for for wearing in um in shoes so i could probably sleep in those yeah. <laughs> um if i wanted to kind of stretch my toes out a little bit more but um haven't kind of uh haven't haven't done that yet but i might try it mm. it could be a thing um, all too weird. Certainly those little um, toe spaces that you get for painting your toenails are a damn sight cheaper than these special ones that I've purchased <laughs> for <laughs> for uh, using in your running shoes. They're uh, ridiculously expensive for a very small piece of um, silicon. Yeah, your tinkering habit is an expensive one. <laughs> yes. Um, actually, I do have a quick so. question around mm-hmm. how long to take off after the marathon. So what are you planning and what are your thoughts on that? Uh, look, I, I think the absolute minimum should be two weeks of no running. Um, I do know a lot of people come back earlier than that, but I suspect that's very unwise. Um, and so I think I'll probably end up having four weeks off. Um, I may have been able to get away with two, but given I'm trying to get on top of, you know, sleeping well and making sure I'm managing these other stresses that, um, yeah, starting running again quickly is not exactly a priority for me at the moment. So I might end up having a, a nice four-week break. And so for anyone else out there, it's going to be individual, but I think definitely between two and four weeks is a good amount of time to have a break after your marathon. Yeah, look, I, I know that I'm definitely going to want to, gosh, here, I haven't even done the marathon and I'm already thinking about a rest, but just psychologically, I find a lot of this takes so much out of me. Um so I'm definitely going to be looking forward to that break. So I like that you said two to four weeks. I might be more towards the four than the two. <laughs> yeah, and that would be a good thing. Like there's there's even a few elite runners. Um, Bernard Leggett, you would have heard of him. He mm-hmm. takes a whole month off, doesn't mm. doesn't do any exercise, um, just gets on the couch and lazes around or, or does whatever he has to do and doesn't worry about losing fitness or whatever. And like he's been one of the – he's got – He's in his early 40s now and he's about to run New York Marathon with you. So, um, oh, and he'll probably good. be a contender. Mm. So, uh, that kind of methodology of taking a full month off every year has certainly um, probably helped his longevity over the years. Mm. Yeah. Well, if it's good enough for him, then I'm going to implement it. Uh, not that I'll be anywhere near him at the New York Marathon unless he hangs around waiting for the three hour group <laughs> to say hello to. You never know. He might be hanging around the end so you can get an autograph. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Oh, dear. So this week um, you're still tinkering. You're, what are you? This is week week one of your time off. Yeah, that's right. So I'm almost at the end of week one of time off. So, yeah, week two of time off is pretty much going to be exactly the same. I, it did cross my mind that I could maybe start thinking about some strength training, but I think I'm going to leave that until week three. Um, to potentially get into the gym and do a little bit of stuff there. It'd just be pretty gentle. 
um, just some really basic exercises just to um, keep those good movement patterns patterns going and uh, um, yeah more and as a more as a rehab type thing um, rather than thinking about as being um, anything too much to do with enhancing my running performance at the moment but yeah as you mentioned earlier doing a little bit of strength training can be quite good for recovery yeah so nice. I may do that um, yeah and plenty more walking probably do a bit more walking in the toe spaces <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm actually, I'm, I'm going to have a, ch- a chat to, um, he probably doesn't know this yet, but I may ring up Tom DeCanto and have a chat about one other thing that I'm thinking about doing for the future, which is to do more of my running and maybe all of it in my flatter shoes. Cause I found, um, through the course of the marathon that I found it quite difficult moving between the zero dropped cushion shoes and the sort of 10 mil drop, um, the, the Adios or the Bostons that I was wearing, just found that adjustment quite hard um, and I did think that it was sort of changing my running gait, perhaps not for the good, especially when I went up to the um, the higher drop shoes. Um, so I am thinking about maybe doing most of my running in the flatter shoes, but I, I want someone who's going to challenge me on that <laughs> <laughs> just to make sure I've thought through all of the um, potential of risks um, associated with that. But a bit like the toe spaces, now's the time to try something like that because when I do start running again, it's going to be pretty small volumes um, and quite gentle in pace. So if I'm going to get away with going all the way in mostly flat shoes or say four mil drop or something like that, um, it's probably going to be now rather than trying to introduce a change like that in the middle of a training program which is definitely asking for trouble yeah definitely the other thing i noticed uh, sorry um yeah the other thing i noticed looking back at my data is most of my runs when i was wearing the flatter shoes i was actually running a bit faster and at lower heart rate so Mm. i feel like i was a bit more efficient and moving a bit better when i was in the flatter shoes so i've actually got a bit of data to kind of back up the notion that i was probably moving a bit better um when I was wearing the uh, the flatter shoes as opposed to the other ones. So. Mm, you have done a bit of barefoot training in the past though, not I a have, lot. Yeah, but I've kind of been building up to from. this. Yeah, I've been building up to that sort of decision or thought process for probably nearly 10 years and I've been a bit stop-start on it, but I, I have done a fair bit of running um, on and off in flatter shoes. So, And even in the last campaign, I probably did between – 40 to 50% of my mileage in the flat shoes, probably probably 50% actually. Um, so I did a substantial volume, you know, on average about between 35 and 40 kilometres a week in the flat shoes. And, you know, although I ended up getting that little calf niggle, I'm still unconvinced that was to do with the shoes. I think that was more to do with this kind of overall being tense and stressed. Mm. Um, but, yeah, if I do do it, I'm going to have to do it very cautiously. So getting a bit of advice from um, someone who's outside of my head I think would be good. <laughs> it's always a good thing to get outside of your head. It is. <laughs> Anyone can do that. It's a lot of tinker time for you then. Yeah, absolutely, which is exciting. It's kind of nice to play around with that kind of stuff. So, um, And, yeah, I started sort of scoping out some places where I could do a little once it, the weather really warms up do a little bit of barefoot running on grass because that's always nice just to yeah. do even if it's a little bit of jogging oh so nice i must admit i do like a little bit of summer barefoot shirts off um, <laughs> <laughs> running in the summer yeah i don't think i'll be taking my shirt off just yet it'll could be could end up being like my freaky foot photo <laughs> all right well, you... i scare the children yeah, let's not go there <laughs> yeah so what about you what's happening in your um 
week yes. two of the taper, really, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. week so, one of the taper well, it's coming week, up. Week one, got an interesting one in there doing the Adam Didick 15K, 5K, 5K, 5K session. Yep, that'll um, be a good one. Looking forward to that one. Um, really going to get this knee under control. So, as I said to you, I'm not worried about it. I've got weekly massages still booked in. I've got my amazing physio coming up. Um, for me, it is a maintenance thing. So, you know, it's just a bit over two weeks to go to the marathon. It'll absolutely be under control by then. But I've just got to be very disciplined in doing those deep, dark yin stretches that uh, that uh, are so good for us but, you know, take a lot of discipline to force yourself to hold for five minutes. Yes, they are quite a difficult thing to do when you just – the longer you sink into it, the more uncomfortable it gets. Oh, yeah, exactly. So um, I'll be doing a bit of that and I've got no more really, really long runs so I'm sort of backing off to about oh, maybe 90 minutes on the weekend and then the following weekend will probably only be 60 minutes. So um, I'm really on the down. But as I said, I'm, I'm feeling really good. But I, can I just chat to you for two seconds about my marathon, where I'm, where I'm at in my head around the, my time goal for my marathon? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I put it out there early. 2.59.59 was my goal based on nothing but uh, <laughs> what I wanted to run and what I thought that my, you know, previous uh, results could have shown. Um, so I would still like to go under that. Uh, I've, got, I've got a couple of different mindsets around it now. So I'm genuinely feeling very, very comfortable and not stressed running 420 pace. I'm finding that even on easy runs, um, if I'm running along with my husband, you know, some, we can sometimes tick down to 420 or in sessions and I genuinely feel like that is nice and easy. Um, sorry, easy is the wrong word. Yeah. I, I take that out. It, comfortable. It, it feels comfortable. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm getting a lot of confidence from that thinking, well, I'm in two minds here of do I go into this marathon as my first one and one, enjoy it um, and still have it like a challenging goal but not be in the back of an ambulance when I cross the finish line? <laughs> you definitely don't. I'll be one of those people that I saw on the weekend. Yeah, so, so I've got that mindset and I think, well, if I start out at 4.20 pace, even go through the first 10 maybe 20 Ks in that. And even if I continued and I ran the whole marathon at that pace, it's a 3.02. Yeah, it's still super fast. I will take that. <laughs> um, so my head's sort of sitting around there, whereas, you know, that 4.15, 4.16 pace, um, I still believe I can do it, but I believe it's going to be a bit of a all the stars and the planets need to align and I like I will be at my absolute like top end and there are going to be some pretty dark places that I go to and like I'm not afraid to do that but at the same time I, I just look that's it yeah like I really don't and I don't want to sound like I'm copping out and I'm, I'm being lazy or whatever I just I just don't want it enough yet like I, I I'm really torn between wanting to make this a really beautiful and um enjoyable experience so that I front up again and you know have another handful of chances at the marathon to take that PB, you know, however many minutes off versus just killing myself 
pulling up injured and going, I never want to do that again. (laughs) You know know what I'm going to say. I really like this line of thinking because um, I tell you what, if what happened to me on the weekend had happened in my first marathon, I think I would have retired. (laughs) Yeah, and do you know what? Even like your experiences, not so much on Sunday but last year's, like, you know, I just remember you – enjoying the whole thing and I think I said last week that you're the only person that I've ever heard say that you hit the last two k's and they felt fine and they were quicker than the rest but you really went into it with that mindset of this is an enjoyable experience this is not a performance experience yep um, and I do yeah, like I that. Think you're not going to be able to go wrong heading off at a pace that you're finding really comfortable mm. um, because even if you do that, it's still going to be hard. Like yeah. It's, yeah, it's yeah. not like it's going to be easy um, to maintain that pace, but setting off at a pace that's a bit comfortable and mm. you'll be a bit more mentally relaxed as well. Yeah. And I, yeah. I think that's really important because yeah. um, that was, I think, one of the things I've been reflecting on is, uh, yeah, I wasn't mentally relaxed about that pace because I had some lingering doubts. Mm. Um, so going into the, into this race with a, at a pace that you feel comfortable at, both physically and psychologically, I think is going to be really good for you. Yeah, and I think it, where it's stemming from is I continue to reflect back of my whole year, not just the last you know 12 weeks of this marathon block, and I just keep coming back to that camera run and mm-hmm. having gone back and reviewed my K splits and that, you know, the first one I think was a 4.24 and, you know, we were speaking prior to recording and how I was saying that, you know, I didn't go past the 90-minute um, pacer for quite a few kilometres into the race and ended up running, you know, like an 88-something. Um, but just the way that I felt and I felt so comfortable and I felt so relaxed and just that, um, I don't know, just that feeling of constantly going past people and even when I was running, like it was an awful day that day, you know, blustery and freezing. And every time I got up to someone, I would just say to myself, oh, just run with them for a bit. And then I would find that, oh, they're going a bit slow. All right. Well, my next challenge is I'm going to, you know, pick Mr. Grey T-shirt, Black Riding. Let's go after him. And it was honestly still to this day the most enjoyable race that I've had all year. And I want to take that feeling and that mindset into this New York Marathon. I like it a lot. I think that's um, a very good strategy. Mm, so that's where I'm headed. I think um, I'm not I'm not resetting saying that I don't want to run sub three, but I'm not going out in the first, you know, 10 kilometres at that pace. I'm going to start out at about 4.20 and, yep. and see how I feel and just take it all in and hopefully feel amazing and negative split by five minutes and end up running. <laughs> <laughs> Well under three. <laughs> yeah, I like the sound of that. Oh, uh, dear. So that's me. That's me this week. And, uh, yeah, it's getting very close. It's getting very exciting. Excellent. Well, um, I think that's almost a wrap. But before we do depart, we've actually got um, uh, a special interview coming up um, with one of our listeners um, and first-time marathon um, finisher now, Neve Mundell. So, uh, Neve got in contact with us um, via our Facebook page a few weeks ago and she gave us some really good constructive feedback about um, some of the language that we'd been using um, in relation to ourselves and how fast we were running. Um, specifically, um, I think you know both of us have been in the trap of um, describing some of our running as slow and I know I've been a bit self-deprecating about describing myself as quite slow, but in relative terms, um, 
both of us uh, quite a bit faster than a lot of other people, um, even though especially in my case, there's a lot of people who are super, uh, heaps faster than me. So um, she just gave us a little bit of feedback around um, uh, just being a little bit more mindful of that kind of language. So we had a good chat about that, her marathon experience, and also some of her work as an exercise physiologist. So um, we've got super intelligent listeners out there, Lisa. Mm, we definitely do. And gosh, she makes a good point. And that's what's so good about running is it's just completely relative. And I remember a few years ago, you and I watching may have even been, it might have been the Victorian 5K Championships or a Zadapec race, something like that. And we were watching these races and, you know, one race they appeared really fast, but they were all seated in, you know, like relative pace to each other. And then the next race you were like, wow, they're fast. And it just kept getting quicker. And you sit there and you go, it really is relative. So, you know, my slow (laughs) – Yep. might be somebody else's fast uh, and, Correct. and vice versa. So great point. All of us need to be very conscious of that. Um, yes. And, uh, yeah, how did she go, by the way? Um, she did really well. She did finish. Um, and uh, she, as she describes in the interview, she avoided being rerouted to the um, slower course, which was I thought was an incredible effort, especially since she'd been coming back from having – both hamstrings on both legs reattached oh, within oh the God. last two years or so. So, um, yeah, Painful. pretty amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to comprehend, isn't it, Run, yeah. running without hamstrings? Um, oh. But, yeah, we talked a little bit about that, which was which was pretty amazing. But, yeah, she um, got to the finish line at the MCG um, and she's now a marathoner. Mm, exciting, exciting stuff. Well, without any further ado, we might flip over to that um discussion um, all about giving your slow a great big warm hug after this. And we're now joined by one of our listeners, Neve Mundell. Hello, Neve. How are you going? Hi, Brian. I'm good. How are you? I'm very well. I'm very well. I'm uh, slowly recovering from uh, the marathon on Sunday. Legs are still a bit sore, but almost got all of that out by now. What about you? Yeah, I'm feeling really good, actually. It took me a couple of days to feel right. I had a bit of the blues yesterday, actually. Oh, really? Uh, Post-marathon blues. Yeah, I used Dr. Google to work that one out. (laughs) I I think that's actually a real phenomenon. (laughs) I think it is, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, but I'm good physically. I'm feeling great. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. And um, we've got extremely intelligent listeners on the Running Technique Tips podcast because you are actually a practicing exercise physiologist, amongst other things, and now a marathon finisher. So congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. I wasn't sure I was going to make it to the uh, start line, let alone the finish line. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, How about, or maybe just tell us a little bit about how you went on Sunday and... um, yeah, t- tell me how it went and, and what did you see out there? What was your experience like? Overall, uh, it was absolutely amazing, mind-blowing for me. Um, I think I, I was thinking of the, uh, is it the inverted U, where you're a little bit over-aroused at the beginning because I was yep. really 
going faster than I intended to. Yep. Um, but I was happy that I didn't get put in the um, uh, alternate route for slow runners. So <laughs> it was yeah, another that's fit. check off the list for me. That's good. That's a fantastic yep. achievement. Yep. Um, so I started off uh, at a good clip and then uh, it heated up. The day got hotter. It sure and, did. Um, I saw, as I'm sure, you know, Everybody did quite a few. Um, I, I want they're not casualties, but mm. people passed out, and, and the ambos were very busy, and there was a lot of crowd support for people who didn't make make it all the way around. Um, so that kind of psychologically made me slow down. I think I got a bit scared. Yep. Um, and then an absolute highlight for me was I saw one of my old client who's a cancer survivor out there running as well and I was just over the moon to see him out there completing the marathon. So uh, That is fantastic. Yeah, yep. And then uh, as I crossed the finish line, it was just um, happy, sad, excited, everything all at once. So, yep. yeah. Yep. And did you manage to absorb some of that time you spent on the Melbourne cricket ground? <laughs> Um, I just wanted to go home afterwards, actually. Yeah. 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 Had it, had some great conversations with people, though. They're a really friendly crowd and, and everyone's so supportive. I was just really happy. Yeah, I found that as well. The, the crowd support is, is pretty amazing. Um, and, yeah, it was fantastic to see spectators going to the aid of the some of the people that I saw collapsed as well um, along the way. But, yeah, there's definitely like a, a good camaraderie amongst the runners as well. I don't know if you found that. Absolutely. Yeah, that was, was just fantastic. Mm, actually, one thing I, I did notice, um, uh, especially early on in the race, that there, there were actually quite a number of people wearing earbuds um, and listening to music mm-hmm. um, or something along the way, which they kind of discourage that in the um, uh, in the guidelines for the marathon for safety reasons. And I can understand that, but I actually found it a bit kind of alienating as well because you sort of want to have a chat to people along the way and you when you're running past two or three people in a row with um earphones in it's it's a bit of a uh disincentive to engage (laughs) people in conversation yeah well the the um ability to converse and and run quickly uh i don't know is that (laughs) yeah for me i was just focused and focused on getting through it yeah, yeah, and you did. Mm. Yeah, uh, and you've um, you've summarised what was no doubt um, an epic tale, and I'm sure there'll be other stories that you've got as well in a in a very short space of time. So um, yeah, I have. So um, you asked me about leading up to the to the yeah. marathon, and um, the reason I thought I may may never be able to run a marathon is because last year I had bilateral hamstring reattachment surgery which in other words I had both um both hamstrings on both sides um reattached to the ischium which is the bone you sit on your bum bone sit bones yeah so no sitting for a while for me no sitting no running um I had them done one at a time the left one was 90% off the bone it was hanging on by a thread and the right one was um uh, not as bad, but there was a good chunk missing from the from the tendon. 
And um, they had been in that state for quite some time and I had allowed them to just, I had just lived with the pain and um, tried to avoid exacerbating it, which is pretty hard because you got to sit. And I kept yep. running. Yeah, it's amazing that you were able to keep running with your hamstrings not really attached <laughs> properly. How did you manage to do that? Uh, well... I ran slowly, basically. I ran slowly. I had very little power. I couldn't accelerate. Mm -hmm. So um, for me, if I wanted to keep running and I – personally, I couldn't actually afford either the financially or the time off work for the surgery for quite some time. So it was just not an option. I didn't even look into it for a while. Mm -hmm. Um, Actually – before that, I have to say I was in a little bit of denial about the um, how bad it was because I didn't even yeah. realise that they were actually off the bone. I thought I had a bit of um, bursitis or something. I didn't, yeah. yeah, I didn't even investigate properly, which is terrible. Yeah, it's easy to do. It's amazing what you can kind of get used to as well. Um, I, I, I had uh, quite a restricted flow of air through my nose for the best part of my life and I kind of ignored it up until I think I only actually got it fixed about three years ago so it's amazing what you can kind of get used to and now it's like oh yeah your nose actually you you can actually (laughs) breathe through that that's it's quite different (laughs) so now you've got your hamstrings attached you probably find the running experience quite different too. oh yeah do you think as as um well I don't know if I'd call myself an athlete but but as as People who are highly active, we perhaps can tolerate discomfort or we learn to tolerate discomfort and perhaps don't distinguish, you know, what might be a little bit of DOMS or might be a little bit of inflammation from what might be an injury at times as well. There could be something in that, but yeah. um, you know that I, I like the work of Dr. Phil Maffetone and he describes the fact that everyone is an athlete, so so you are an athlete. <laughs> <laughs> so Recreation. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. But I think you're right. There's probably something about people who like running as well that they are quite good at determining their way through things. Yep. yep. And, uh, yeah, sometimes we can push those things aside Um possibly sometimes to our own detriment as well. Yeah. Yeah. So I, um, anyway, uh, it was actually um, the the words of one of my clients that um, encouraged me to go and get it checked out. Um, He said, oh, you've got, you've got a good 20 years of running in your yet if you go and get that sorted out, you know, and I thought, you know what, I don't want to have to you know, I, I don't want to be stopped from, from doing this. I love it, even if it's slow and I have to accept that it's slow, which I had done. I had accepted that I was never going to be fast. I don't want to not be able to do it at all. So I did go and get go and get it investigated and it, it wasn't until I had an MRI that it was determined the extent of the damage. And, and in fact, it was more than tendon damage. There was, um, there was bursitis and soft tissue injury and everything going on in there as well. So um, I I don't know whether it was a result of multiple sort of (laughs) slips and trips and playing soccer and and shenanigans at parties when I was younger as well. Um, But, yeah, so then I found out that 
it really couldn't be fixed without surgery. So I took that path. Yes. Uh, that's amazing that you did and amazing now that you've um, in probably not a – I don't know, how long between the, the, the time between surgery and running this marathon on the weekend? Um. Second one was April last year, I think. Yeah, so it was a fair, it was a fair way away. Yeah. Um, and I did go through, like the rehabilitation prog- process was fairly lengthy and I had a couple of flare-ups in the lead-up. So I, I learned, um, you know, about going through the stages of rehabilitation. Sometimes you go back two steps, back to stage yep. one and then – two and three again and then you're back to two and then back to three so there's all so many um factors that go into how you're progressing with your rehabilitation and it it was a a personal learning experience for me and it gave me a lot more more compassion for my clients as well I think (laughs) yeah that's right because that's sort of what you do in your day job really isn't it is helping rehabilitate people yeah yep so is is it one of those cases of the um Doctors don't make good patients. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, taste of your own medicine, as I was, um, yeah, as I was saying. It's, yeah, yeah. Yep. So uh, okay. Well, I think that's still pretty amazing. So probably inside eighteen months, you've gone from um, having your hamstrings fixed, yeah, and uh, completing the marathon on the weekend. So yeah. So I was um. Yeah non-weight bearing for six weeks and then not running for about um, four months or so after each surgery. Um, yep. So, yeah, really, really happy with that. Mm. And what sort of um, uh, strength training and mobility type um, rehabilitation did you have to do? Because I was just sort of wondering whether what you were doing rehab-wise is maybe some of it is probably the kind of stuff that most runners should potentially engage in anyway? Well, what I'm doing now at this stage is likely to be the kind of stuff that runners should be doing to yep. prevent injury, um, which is is strengthening of the lower limb and power training and things like that because you need mm-hmm. to you need power to be able to accelerate. Um, but in, in terms of specifically a tendon injury, you've got to avoid compression. So you don't want to mm. be sitting on your bum too much if it's a hamstring tendon or if it's a um, Achilles tendon. You, you you need to have your footwear checked out. And in fact, I was listening the other day to one of your podcasts on um, shoe drop. Yes. Yeah, and thinking about some people who have a predisposition to Achilles tendinopathy, if their shoes are too soft at the back and they um, are compressing that tendon at the insertion, then then sometimes soft shoes can make, can predispose you to tendon injury and you don't even realise it. Yeah, and there's a few of those shoe brands and I think Lisa's actually running in a pair that's got quite a high kind of collar, high, high tab at the back yeah. there as well, which for some runners I know that can really irritate their um, Achilles tendon as well. well. It's really individual, isn't it? Because so, some people have um, a predisposition. So, you know, if you, don't, if you don't have that predisposition, you're less likely for it to happen. But so um, you were asking about the, the um, exercise. At the moment, 
Uh, I still am trying not to compress, so I, I avoid any deep squatting or deep lunging um, because that does compress the tendon at the origin. Um, but I still have to strengthen those muscles. So I have to keep my glutes and hammies strong. I'm still doing isometric training for the hammies, which I was doing. That's what I started off with. Yep. So heavy isometric, um, which is obviously just holding under load at about 70 to 80 percent. Um, five what reps. sort of exercise are you doing there? Like it's so it's again it's it's um, not in a compressed position so I've got a leg curl machine and it's I'm extended at the knee extended at the hip on my tummy so uh, prone and I've got the the weight at my ankles so so you just sort of hold it there in that position hold it there yep and then try and Mm -hmm. adapt different angles at, at the knee um and, yeah, so about five sets, 70 to 80% of one RM with a couple of minutes rest mm-hmm. in between. Um, yep. So that was that was all I was doing in stage one. And an RM, for those who don't know, that's, is, that's a rep max, isn't it? Yeah. So, so, so yeah. or seven or eight out of ten, if ten was a maximum you could lift. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and do you, do you do bridging and those type of exercises oh, yes, as well? Definitely. So I'm doing. I'm still doing bridging, um, football leg curls and stuff like that now. Yeah. And and awesome. a little bit of partial range squatting and lunging, but not nothing deep. Just because I mean you don't need to have a deep. Um, no. Squat or lunge for running, and and I'm training to be able to run. So. Yep, I completely agree with you. Yeah, you don't see many people running. Along in a posture that looks like a deep squat with your bum on the ground. Well, you hope so, not. Um, yeah. Although some of these um, fitness fads, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you've heard of that. <laughs> oh, I've seen some odd things out there. Yes, there are some odd things out there. That's true. Hmm. Well, we're probably going to do a um, episode at some stage in the future where we kind of do a bit of a deep dive into strength training for running as well because oh, that's definitely something that that I'm passionate about and have done a little bit of um uh research on um which led to a couple of chapters in my in my running technique book so yeah oh, I'm go yep. delve back into that and have a chat about it so I might have to get you back to um kick some of those ideas around at some point sounds great you might not be able to shut me up <laughs> <laughs> well that's good it's all good information and definitely strength training it's it's not quite as bad as what it was 10 years ago where a lot of people now realize that strength training for endurance running is actually really beneficial but um, Absolutely. it's still it's still something that's probably not the first thing that springs to mind when runners talk about constructing their training um and yeah I must admit over the last 12 months I've been a bit slack in not doing as much as I should have been doing so certainly something for the next campaign will be getting back into the gym and throw some Heavy, well, not so heavy stuff around, but throw some weights around. Mm, well, maybe we can chat about your calf later too. See what's going on there. <laughs> <laughs> I reckon the calf's all right, okay, actually. Oh, good, um, good. Yeah, so uh, it it held up, um, which is good. So um, uh, the reason why we ended up getting in touch and having a chat was um, a few weeks back. Lisa and I actually put a call out and said, "Please give us some comments, feedback, questions," and. You were kind enough to send us a message via the Running Technique Tips Facebook page um, and you gave us some really good constructive feedback which sort of forced me to stop and have a bit of a think about um, uh, 
uh, how I was kind of approaching things myself and definitely the kind of language that Lisa and I were both using on the podcast as well. Would would you mind just for the listeners sort of recapping what you had to say? Yeah, sure. I, I guess um, I, I was listening to you guys in the lead up to the marathon for as many tips as I could get because I felt I desperately needed it. And um, I remember hearing you talking about the speed of your running and I was so impressed with how fast you were and you called it slow. <laughs> and my my feedback was, that's not really good for my ego. Um, you know, you guys are doing an amazing job and you've got such great tips and techniques. Um, I'm not like you though. I guess I'm not as fast. So... For me, um, I need to accept that I'm I'm slow and not put the pressure on myself to because one of my goals of the marathon was just to finish injury free, um, and well, that actually should be everyone's goal out of the marathon, <laughs> I reckon. But I'm not sure that that many people manage to achieve that. Yeah, and I didn't have a time limit on yeah. on completing, um, except I didn't want to be rerouted to the slow lane. Um, so yeah, that was that was my feedback was just around that you know you guys are are actually pretty fast in my book. So yep. yeah, and I, the the thing that sort of made me think about it was yeah for, I know I'm conscious of the fact that at times I um, describe my running as slow in kind of a self deprecating way and sometimes that's trying to be humorous um, but other times it's probably my own little defense mechanism um, against. Uh, me being a lot slower than a lot of other runners because running is such a relative thing. Yeah. And, um, you know, we're all type for, A's, for me, aren't we? Oh, total <laughs> double A's, triple A's. <laughs> um, yeah, it's totally like that. And, I, and I've, Lisa and I both, and I don't know whether you do as well, but we listen to some other podcasts where there's some like super fast runners, yeah. like people who can run two hours 20 or less for the marathon. And they describe, they sort of are self deprecating against themselves because there are people who can run faster than them. So it's kind of like this, uh, yeah, we're a bit kind of um, down on ourselves as runners, no matter sort of what relative speed we are. We always are worried about the fact that we're slow. Yeah, and it's uh, Um, it's to be, I mean, enjoy the journey, you know, as as well. Um, And I guess I learned that the hard way too with um, my injury. So I was forced to run slow and accept that I had to, had to be well what I call slow you know some people can't run so I'm grateful that I could even get out there and compete well participate rather yeah exactly um so yeah I guess the thing I was thinking about was and I I know I've I don't know I've de- since you gave me that feedback. I know I've dropped the word slow a few times on the podcast. <laughs> Every time I do it, I just give myself a little bit of kick because I, I think better language would actually be to talk about um, either perceived effort or just describe the running as easy. And for me, like easy also has a physiological measurement, which is that mafetone, um, uh aerobic threshold that I try and yeah. do the vast majority of my running at. Yep. Um, yep. So that's probably more productive language, I think, um, for all of us to kind of think about because if, if, if we're all sort of training in that kind of nice, comfortable aerobic threshold range, then we can all talk about sort of easy and hard and it doesn't really then matter how fast we're actually running. Yeah, that's a good way to frame it. 
And it's amazing what our brains can do uh, to our performance or or our our thoughts, rather, can do for our performance, isn't it? I mean... um, Definitely. That's a pretty big area of interest of of mine in terms of... Yeah, tell me a little bit about... You've you've got a few interesting research areas related to your your work. Yeah, well, I I teach... um, into a Master's of Clinical Exercise Physiology, which is at Deakin University in Melbourne. Uh, and I chair a, a unit called Mental Health and Behaviour Change and another one called Neurological and Neuromuscular Exercise Physiology. Well, that's the short name. <laughs> uh, and so we cover a lot of different mental health conditions or mental illnesses so I mean I could talk at length about how exercise is beneficial for particular pathologies but just for the general um, anybody as well um, this the mechanisms are are debated and there's a few different ones that are um, proposed Uh, but the the evidence is solid you know, it's 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 a two way relationship, though, isn't it? Because if you're not in a good headspace, um, you don't feel like performing, and vice versa. You know, the the more you, yeah. you well, not necessarily the more you exercise. Obviously, there's limits, mm-hmm. um, but the the greater volume, and there's some evidence to show higher intensity exercise is better for your mental health as well. Interesting. So, in a in sort of general terms, if we look talking about exercise and the general benefits for maintaining good mental health, what sort of things does um, just having a regular exercise program? What sort of benefits would that bring? Okay, so apart from general health benefits, uh, so pre- prevention of diseases, cardiovascular disease, and diabetes, mm-hmm. and those sorts of things, which themselves are linked to depression. Um, and stress and anxiety. Um, exercise increases blood flow, so increased blood flow to the brain helps with your cognitive function. Um, it increases your endorphins that are circulating. It increases the number of mitochondria you've got in your muscles, so you've got more energy. Or your production of energy is um, easier. Uh, your neurotransmitters, which are involved in mood, so serotonin, um, norepinephrine, um, oh, it's, begins with E, it's escaping me. Oh, dopamine, <laughs> doesn't yep. begin with E. Um, and also your st- stress, cortico- your hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, which is basically your stress response is... Um, better mediated so yeah there's so many different mechanisms also being distracted you know being outside is it is a good one mm-hmm. um, yep. a lot of people exercise with others so there's the social interaction which is um, you know really beneficial beneficial as well sense of achievement yeah yep. all of that so yeah, I was actually when you were talking about the um, uh, the blood flow to the brain, I was thinking often I actually do have good ideas while I'm out running. So and do I. It's yeah. yeah, it's, it's yeah. You know, people sometimes people say, oh, they have a good a good idea in the shower. <laughs> I don't. I usually have them when I'm out running. <laughs> Me too. And it's not it's not sort of a structured approach to ideas as well. It just sort of jogs along into your head, doesn't it? Yes. It's yeah, it totally magic. does. Um, and I think one of the things that um, 
Like, I definitely think running is a good um, stress reliever by and large. Absolutely. And, uh, and, I mean, I suppose I was talking about the um, – biological and neurobiological mechanisms there because that's I'm a bit of a nerd and that's where my head's at (laughs) but just um if you've got excess adrenaline and cortisol running or exercising just helps to flush that all out of your blood Mm. and um that's yeah it's essentially it's stress relief yeah and I really I don't know whether you've um had a listen to any of the podcasts where Dr. Mark Cucuzzella has had a talk about his philosophy. He's very much into the Phil Maffetone approach as well, but he just describes running his recovery from life. Yeah, I can um, relate. Yeah, and that's that's the way I'm trying to think about it. Um, and, yeah, doing it at an intensity that is not too high sort of allows you to have it as a recovery mechanism uh-huh. rather than a stress-causing mechanism. Well, that's a nice <laughs> um, way to look at it. I mean, it, it, it is a stress, but it's um, a physiological stress. And the fact that you train and go through that stress means that your body is better at buffering stress. So, so that mm. means disease as well, like inflammation. That's absolutely true. Um, so I guess they're all really positive things, but I, you, I'm sure you will have come across this in your working life. Um, I've certainly come across it from a coaching perspective and also just from reading and listening to the experience of other people that for a lot of people, um, your um, potentially healthy running program and um, I'd like to say hobby, but for a lot of people it's an obsession <laughs> and yeah. probably is for myself as, as to some extent. Um, it could potentially be a net negative on your mental health. Um, yeah. Have you come across that and what would you sort of have to say about how you can try and prevent that from becoming a negative influence and, and maintaining as the positive influence that it should be. Absolutely. So uh, thinking about it in terms of is this activity helpful or is it harmful? Um, and there's, there are often people who have eating disorders will have over-exercise as – when I say over-exercise, I mean exercising – dangerously as a component of their eating disorder and it's the first thing to appear and usually the last thing to disappear from the eating disorder when they're treated. So that usually involves an unhealthy relationship with exercise whereby the person is focused on the exercise as a way of um, burning off calories or uh, purging. So it's like a, a way of contributing to to their weight loss rather than which is actually you know a lot of people commonly focus on exercise for for assisting with weight Mm. loss and that can be a healthy healthy thing don't get me wrong but when it just becomes about punishing and um and and there's no enjoyment in it and you're not appreciating your body and what it's capable of that's damaging and um there are there are surveys and questionnaires and things that we can use with patients who have eating disorders to identify where they've mm-hmm. got problematic relationships with exercise and damaging relationships with exercise. And um, we can use those to coach them back into or, or 
onward into a healthy relationship with their body and with exercise so that it or, or movement rather because sometimes even the word exercise can be associated negatively with um that sort of purging behavior and I think it's more common with athletes um than I mean I I tend to work with people with chronic diseases and and illnesses more Mm. so but I have worked with several patients with eating disorders and I've done some research into how exercise physiologists can help patients with eating disorders so that's um yeah my understanding of of how you can approach that attitude yeah that's a it's a whole giant topic in a, in and of itself, that mm. one that you've just brought up there. It's, um, it is fascinating yeah. and it's so, so important that, you know, we treat our bodies mm. with respect and yeah. um, and then we get enjoyment out. We, you only get one life and one body. Yeah, you only got, yeah, that's right. You can't trade it back in, no. can you? So <laughs> look after it. So what about people who uh, maybe maybe are not suffering from um, disordered yeah. eating but are just a little bit addicted to exercise um what about that well, this, have you come across that yeah before? the same um the same philosophy really is it is it helpful or is it harmful are you is it overall going to give you benefits to your mood state and your health or is it is participating in this activity bringing you down taking you away from time with your friends and family um you know taking sucking the enjoyment out of your life are you you know, not able to live a full life because you're obsessed with either participating in or, you know, thinking about participating in, in a particular activity. So yeah. if, you, if you're answering yes to those questions, it's time to reevaluate your relationship and, and um, perhaps take it back a step or two. Go and see an exercise physiologist who's trained in working <laughs> with people with eating disorders. <laughs> oh, sorry. Absolutely. This is people without eating disorders as well. Yes. But it, yeah, as yeah. it can be the first sign of an eating disorder. So it is, I mean, you know, something to be taken seriously. Yeah, I, I absolutely think so. Um, yeah, okay. And what about in just the uh, the reason why we're having this conversation is that notion about our sort of our, our delicate self-esteem as runners and how we – relate to how fast we run and our sense of identity as runners being linked to that. Um, what's what's some other ways that we can potentially um, try and think about that a little bit differently so that we can kind of give whatever our slow is a, a giant hug yeah. and, and kind of be a bit more accepting um, of, you know, as you mentioned, we're lucky enough to be able to, to get out and do some exercise, whereas a lot of people can't like you know how can we get a better relationship with that notion of how fast that we I love that um that picture hugging your slow I've had to (laughs) hug my slow very close for for quite some time so we've become friends that's good yeah I think um accepting I think it's it's about accepting um where you're at now uh because if you're if you're pushing too hard and it's unpleasant and uncomfortable, that might be okay for a short period of time. But if you're constantly doing that, you will be at the point where you're not enjoying what you're doing. And it is a hobby. It is a, you know, it is, it's not, we're not, well, I'm not, I'm not a, I'm not paid to do it. And (laughs) (laughs) to be honest, I don't know if I would enjoy it as much if if I was, you know. Um, 
Uh, if anyone wants to pay me to run, I'd be happy to say yes to that, but um, I don't think anyone will at my speed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, um, there are so many benefits to be gained from it. I, I don't think that the speed that, you, that you're running at needs to always be your top priority. Um, and as we get older as well, I don't know about you, Brian, but it's not it's not realistic to be able to maintain the same pace as when you were younger. So you've got to sort of let some things go. Yeah, that's right. I think that's true. And look, one of the very early episodes we did, I was talking about um, there's a Canadian journalist called Carl Honoré who wrote this book about uh, what was it called. It's all about it's all about um, uh, embracing slow, um, but slow not really being like a bad thing. Like we think of slow as being has a negative connotation, particularly in relation to running. But he was basically describing it as doing things at the right speed. Um, so sometimes, and it's a bit like the Maffetone formula for me. It's like you know you do this comfortable aerobic running, which to begin um, may well be quite slow for you um, but over time that easy level of exertion um, may become a little bit faster so yep. so your version of slow may change yeah, exactly. over, over it's time. It's all relative so it's that what comes back to what you said earlier about rate of perceived exertion your um, as your fitness increases your rate of perceived exertion for a given pace is going to go down so your pace is going to pick up to um, maintain that that um, feeling yeah. that you're used to, yeah. And yeah. You s- I just remember the title. It's called "In Praise of Slow." Yeah, there yeah. You go. And you're still lapping everyone on the couch. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's right. Um, and, and you know, you have to. Um, it's it's not all as you described with your rehabilitation. It's not all forward progress where um, you'll be just getting faster and faster and faster all of the time. Um, and yeah, I've just had an example of where at times for whatever reason, um, you go from your easy or slow being a certain speed and then all of a sudden you drop off a little cliff and then you have to go backwards and then come forwards again. Um, and that's probably going to be the case for, for everyone who's just run the Melbourne marathon or any other marathon, um, who might be like me taking some time off yeah. now. So two to four weeks mm-hmm. off, um, good kind of minimum break. And then when by the time I start running again, um, my easy is going to be a bit slower again, I would imagine, at least for a while. That's, that's probably the case. But I, I suppose one of the tricks, I think, is to reflect back, um, you know, what happened, why and what next as well. You, you know, what do you learn from mm-hmm. it and, and how can you implement that in the future? And that's got to come out as a positive, really. It, it has, yeah. And, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know whether you're going through that process of reflection after your marathon, but, yeah, I've certainly definitely. Um, already started yes, that <laughs> and yeah I've got a lot of different things that um, I've been thinking about over the last few days that I would implement into my approach for my next goal whatever that might be um, and there are certain things that I've kind of had to think about and found out about over the last few days that would I would be able to implement um, to pre- potentially prevent um something like that little regression before the marathon from happening um, to me again and probably something that would help it happening from 
happening to anyone else. So um, awesome. I, I probably won't get into it right now. But so you um, haven't set yeah, your next in, goal in, yet. Uh, well, Lisa was asking me about this the other day, and before the Melbourne Marathon, I was vaguely kicking around the idea of running the Canberra oh, Marathon, yep. which. Um, we both ran the Canberra Half Marathon earlier this year and it's a really nice um, event. My, my brother's run the marathon there a couple of times. It's a lot smaller than Melbourne and it's probably a little bit more, uh, it's more of a runner's marathon if that makes sense. So it's probably less about huge mass participation and um, people dressed up in funny <laughs> costumes. <laughs> of which there were many. Um, yeah, that's right. Uh, so, uh, look, there's a full range of abilities running. It's not an elite marathon or anything. I didn't mean mm-hmm. to imply that. But, um, yeah, it's a smaller marathon and it's a nice marathon to do. So I was sort of thinking about maybe running that um, but running it um, more aerobically. Um, and I think I've probably, after after this marathon in Melbourne, that's probably more likely be the way, if I do do it, the way that I approach it just to have a – do a marathon that's far more comfortable mm-hmm. um, and just kind of see what that feels like because having done two now and having a good one and yeah. a bad one, um, I'm still a little bit apprehensive about the distance okay. itself. Um, so one of the other things, I'm, yeah, one of the other things I have to think about is what can I do from a kind of a, a mindset change, but also there's probably some things I can do in training so that I'm less apprehensive about the distance itself. And I think one one way of overcoming that and feeling more positive about it would be to do a marathon that's um, at, a, at an easier intensity. Um, so the, I don't know if you remember the, the Maffetone Marathon pace prediction discussion that we had. But, yep. yeah, so he's sort of saying, well, if you're – Say, for example, if you're running aerobically at five-minute kilometre pace, then you could probably race the marathon at about 5.50 or 5.51. Uh, sorry, 4.51 kilometre pace, so a little bit faster than that. Um, so I think if if I went in and did a did this marathon easily and kept my heart rate in that aerobic zone for a long period of time rather than kind of dashing straight to that, you know, 10 seconds a kilometre faster pace from the start, um, I think it would be a much more relaxing and enjoyable experience. Yeah, do you think as well the um, the excitement and the adrenaline is going to bump your heart rate up a little bit? As well? I mean, it it does. We we know this with our yeah. cardiac patients. Yeah. They they come in a little yeah. stressed and they have a few abnormal rhythms, and then they do we pop an ECG, do a warm up, and they hey presto, the the rhythms have um, evened out, and it's stress. It's a bit of bit of the white coat, exactly. white coat syndrome, yeah. isn't it? Um, yeah, look, there could be an element of that, um, but that kind of didn't happen the first time around, and I was actually more nervous about the first marathon than the one that I just did. Um, and yeah, my my heart rate in the early stages of that first one was so right. much lower. It was yeah, it was in, in, incredibly uh, incredibly different. Um, running at probably what was a similar perceived level of exertion, which is why I was having this discussion about heart rate doesn't lie, whereas sometimes perhaps the perceived level of exertion, maybe maybe we're not a completely amazing judge of how hard we're actually working. Um, And, yeah, the the heart rate monitor is very objective. That's true. (laughs) That is true. 
<laughs> we like a bit yeah, of a bit of objective so, data as well. Yeah. We do, yes. So yeah, so my next goal might be running an easy Canberra marathon. Um, what about you? What are you thinking about doing next? I'm trying not to. I, I'm trying to abstain from setting a goal for a little while. I just want to mm-hmm. um, scope what's out there, and uh, I, I think I, I'll kind of do the opposite. I'll, I'll do a time-based goal. Um, yeah. But I haven't set one yet, so I'm just having a look around what's out there. But um, I'll wait till I feel recovered fully from yeah. this, which I nearly am. So. Yeah, no, that's amazing that you recovered yeah, so quickly. Yeah, I feel quickly. great. Um, Maybe because I didn't run very yeah. fast. <laughs> no, well, no, it's all yeah. relative. But, yeah, I think there'll be a lot of people who um, have run the marathon either fast or slow who'd still be pretty sore today. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but that notion of goal-free running I think is important oh, yep. as well. Yep. So I was just speaking to Lisa about that in the in the recap after the marathon and it's just nice to have a few months where you can just jog around and just enjoy it and not have to be thinking about um, is my training leading up to a particular goal or goal yeah, time or next? speed. You know, how many more Ks have we yeah. got to fit in this week? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, all of that. So that's kind of a nice place Absolutely. to be. So goal-free running is Love a worthy it. goal <laughs> of itself. All right, I reckon that might be a nice place to um, – to end this chat, but hopefully we can have um, another one soon and we can yeah draw upon some of your um, knowledge and work and research as an exercise Sounds physiologist good, Brian. Thank you. Um, in the future. No, thanks very much no for worries. having a chat. Bye. See you later. Bye.